Hello and welcome to the Listics AFL podcast. This is our first episode in 2019. Woo! Woo! Second year of the podcast. Get excited. Uh, we're still, though, covering off our list reviews from 2018 just because we care to, to spend this much time focusing on them. I'm here, as always, with my great co-host, Sean Lewis. Sean, how you doing, mate? Very well, John. Uh, happy New Year. Welcome to 2019. Thank you, mate. Um, it's going to be an exciting year of football. Um, we're covering off a couple of the teams that I think are going to be really interesting to watch as well because it's Geelong, so I'm really interested to see how they're going to go as far as can they move back up to be that top four team. Port Adelaide, can they get back inside the top eight and Fremantle? What happens now that they actually have a genuine key forward? Uh, they've, they've been threatening to get one for a very long time and now they actually have one. So very interested to see how they all go. Um, but uh, let's just jump straight into it. So if we jump Sounds in good. and start with Fremantle... Um, so Fremantle had a couple of retirements. They had Michael Johnson, uh, Daniel Pierce, uh, Lee Spur retired. So and Michael Apeness. So Michael Apeness was probably a bit more of a shock, and I don't think they expected that to happen. We just signed a one-year deal. He just signed a one-year deal. So obviously he didn't think that he could ever get back there with his injuries um, to the level he needed to be, or he just wanted to move on with his life, which is fair enough. The other guys were all pretty much out of the side by now, so I think that was pretty fair by them. Uh, and their delisted players uh, were Cam Sutcliffe, uh, Tommy Sheridan, who was picked up by GWS, uh, Brady Gray, Luke Stranatica, uh Ethan Hughes, and Ryan Nahus. I think that a couple of them might have been re-rookied, um, but they, they did originally be delisted. Um, and, I mean, as far as a off-season score goes for them, for that sort of retirement and delistings, this game was 6 out of 10. Wasn't the worst, wasn't the best. That it sort of moved on players. I mean, it's only a six um, and not not, not higher uh, because they lost Apness, who I think was part of their plans. Um, Lee Spur, I thought maybe a tiny bit early. Um, Tommy Sheridan still had a role. So there's a couple of guys that could sort of hang around, but I think it was the right move given the uh, other off-season moves they made. Yeah, I think they were just trying to... Um like we encourage a lot of clubs, uh, which is probably why this is a 6 or a 5 out of 10, is to turn over the list. Um, these guys, some of them uh, retired, so I think uh, Johnson and Pierce were kind of a bit pushed into retirement. I think it was announced by Ross Lyon <clears throat> in the mid-year, um, even though the players themselves, I don't think, had actually agreed to it. But other than that, yeah. Um, I, like, I mean, I don't mind any of this. They, uh, their free agency move was they brought in Reese Conker, so I think uh, Sheridan and Sutcliffe probably going to get overtaken straight away by a guy like Conker. Yep. So um, not nothing bad there. Six out of ten because it's a it's there's some positive moves there. They've cut players probably outside of their twenty eighth on the list. Yep. Um, and yeah, as we said, probably Apeness is the one we. I think they were, but given he he'd done his knee, I think they were going to put him onto the rookie list for a year. Um, and he'd signed a contract anyway, but I think he made the decision that, yeah, if you're going to push me back onto the rookie list, it's um, and given that they'd brought in um, uh, Hogan and, and Lobb, his position probably evaporated in front of him, so he might have taken a retirement payout, and who knows, we might see him back next year after he's recovered. But yep. um, onto the free agency, as we said, they brought in Race Conker. I think we gave that a 6 out of 10. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's good, it's good. It's good, not great. Um, he's not a gun player, but he's definitely a good depth player. 
the trade was probably where they really yeah absolutely. they really dominated. I mean, it's hard to get, say that anyone could possibly dominate a trade period where you lose somebody as good as Lockie Neal, but the moves that they made really aligned them. Um, align them for a good push without ever giving up too much. So, mm. obviously, they uh, lost Lockie Neal, pick six, a 2019 third round, and a 2019 fourth round pick, but they were able to bring in Travis Collier, Jesse Hogan, who was probably the biggest in of their whole offseason, and Rory Lobb, another big in, as well as picks 14, 31, 43, and 65. So really good amount of picks to bring in, especially considering they were pretty thin in this draft. So well, they turn, like we said, they turn Lockie Neal and pick six into Coiler, Hogan, uh, Lobb, and those picks. Yeah, um, and and they used a couple of third and fourth rounds for next year. Yeah, but didn't sacrifice the 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 first and second round, which is probably the more important one. Yeah, agree. And keeping their second round pick for next year as well is important because this year they went in really bare. Um, next year a little bit less bare and they've still got the potential to turn that second into potentially like two or three third round picks next year yeah. which um, I think that they should look at doing I think I think probably what's worked in their favour like this was uh, Fremantle really took advantage of it I guess the, it was almost the perfect storm um, Melbourne in moving on Jesse Hogan they'd identified that they were not going to move Jesse Hogan unless they got Stephen May so therefore it really became what do Melbourne need to get to get Stephen May um, rather than what is Jesse Hogan worth. So I think, in a way, they probably paid a little bit unders for Hogan, um, which then allowed it to pass on for Lobb, uh, and um, Melbourne were able to get Stephen May. So I think Fremantle, despite not having a list manager, and also we probably should say congratulations to Mark McAuliffe for, um, for taking on the new list manager. Yeah, legend of a bloke. Um the, the the thing for Fremantle was is without a list manager, Peter Bell and Stephen uh, Roach. Yeah, yeah, uh, Rossich, I think. Rossich, yeah. yeah. Um, they did a fantastic job in um, basically giving Fremantle a, a huge uh, win in this trade period. So um, really big congratulations to Fremantle. And for all Fremantle supporters listening, um, we were pretty critical of them when they said they were pulling out of the Jesse Hogan deal. Um, which we, no one actually thought they were doing, but um, we didn't like the positioning, but it's worked in their favour. So good on them. Um, they yep. figured out how to do it, and um, yeah, just got to commend them. Yeah, I did the same thing when I um, when I bought my house. Um, was just told the agent, you know, I'm pulling out. Yeah, this, this is my last offer, and you didn't accept it, so see you later. And sure enough, um, a week goes by, and they call you back, and the deal ends up getting done for what you wanted. So, oh, I think I think it was actually a bit different to that. I believe. I, I, I know. I'm not. I'm not trying to compare the two. I'm just trying to explain oh, the, the psychology behind the deal. Yeah, but the the psychology in this deal was they they said they pulled out on Friday, and apparently over the weekend, the reaction from the Fremantle fans was pretty vicious. Um, meanwhile, Melbourne didn't really change their positioning. Yeah. Everything was about getting Stephen May. Fremantle um, fans are the real estate agency director who's not happy that the sale <laughs> hasn't gone through. And and they really did push it. So yeah, I mean, a little bit. The psychology of the deal, uh, of the process they went through makes sense, but the actual uh, machinations of it were not were very different. So Correct. Um, then we get into the draft. Um, yeah, so in the draft, uh, they picked up Sam Sturt, uh, which was a selection that you really rated. I didn't rate as much. I sort of saw him as outside of that first or oh, that second group. Um, Valente at 32, and there was obviously a trade 
um, in there to get that Valente selection. I didn't really rate the trade, but I rated the selection of Valente. Um, and then they were able to bring in some mature age players from um, from Willie and Brett Bewley and, and Lachlan Schultz, which I think both, or at least definitely Bewley, will, will slot into their side nicely. Um, so I think from a draft grade perspective, we gave them uh, a B- minus or a 6.5 out of 10. Um, so they did well. Um, not not excellent, but they did well. Um, yeah, and I mean, look, like the Stan Sturt pick... Um, that was probably one of the more controversial ones between us, but I just would have um, preferred them to take Dersma. I think I think for them though, Sam Sturt's a better fit. Der, Dersma, while yeah, I mean, look like it's we're we're, we're flipping uh, the coin here over which one of us would prefer what. But I think that if you had to ask me after the trade period what I felt Freeman oh, yeah, needed, you, you felt like they needed Sturt from pretty early out. Yeah, um, it, it wasn't until late that they um, identified that he was definitely the one, but you, you sort of definitely felt like he was the one that they wanted. And, and Valente was a ripping pickup. I think that's the one we both really rated because he, he should have been higher, really. Yeah, yeah well, they, they could have taken Valente at 17 and I would have preferred that yeah. than yeah. Sam Sturt. So I think that they did really well. Yep. Uh, really well there. And as far as their needs, uh, we identified that they needed a key position forward. Um, they got two. They, they got two. And they needed to get back in the draft, and they did that. So they were one of the only teams that really um, did everything that we thought that they should do. Um, I mean, the only thing they obviously we had no no insight over was them losing Neil, um, which obviously yeah. you'd prefer not to. But in the circumstance, I think that it was important to get the uh, the stock that you needed to make the trades happen. Well, given given what given the last few years, um, having Neil and Fife, they haven't been able to. Uh, push themselves back into finals with that combination for lack of a key forward since Pavlich. Um, even though you're losing a, you know, what I regard as a top ten midfielder, um, I think the opportunity to get a fifty goal a year forward, um, which is what they're craving, uh, potentially even more now that Hogan will be the key focal point rather than competing with a guy like Tom McDonald. Because let's face it, Rory Lobb at best I think is probably a thirty five goal a year forward yeah Rory Lobb is much more like a, a traditional ruck forward where mm. you want to park him at full forward and bomb yep. it in on his head and you want him to go and chop out in the ruck for 35% of the game yep. if he can kick if he can come out of the year with two goals a game I think it's a it's a massive win for massive win. for Frio um, but I think Hogan's going to be their avenue for attack especially with the robot capacity and everything so um, look that is just huge, and then getting back in the draft, yeah, they lost Neil, but as we said, they made they made that Neil deal and the picks work for them to maximise their position um, all round. So, yep, we got it. Gave them just a bit over a seven um, out of ten. It was almost a seven and a half out of ten, I guess you'd say. Uh, yeah, just but just below a seven and a half out of ten, um, which was the second highest second highest score in the entire thing. Uh, we've actually got the highest and the second highest in this bunch, so. Um, yeah. It was a really, really well performed by Fremantle this off season. I don't think it's going to do a lot for their prospects immediately. I still see them no. sitting around this fifteenth. Um, I think we've got them projected at. No, well, I, no. I think they're. I think they're upper scope now. Like I think fifteenth is probably consistent about where we would have had them if they kept Neil or lost it. Yep. Um, but I would have said that their upper end scope. Um, was a lot lower. Yep, I would agree with that. I would have um, said that I could have seen them go lower than 15th as well. I could have seen them slipping. But with the trades that they've made, I could see them potentially performing as well as, say, a North Melbourne did this year. 
I still don't see them making mm. a top eight, but maybe somewhere around like a ninth or a tenth and surprising yeah. a few people. And, and it comes back to that integration of new players. Like, this is what's happened with Port and Essendon this year and the years before that. You know, everyone says, well, Hawthorne can do it. Well, Hawthorne were only ever integrating one player at a time. You know, Gibson one year, Sean Burgoyne the other, and like, it was only ever one player at a time. You're talking about changing your entire structure. You've got a couple of spine players and you've lost one of your key midfield cogs, which yeah. isn't easily balanced back out. And yes, guys like Blakey and uh, like Blackie and, and these kind of guys are going to come along and yep. they're going to keep improving and you've still got Nat Fife and you've still got Big Sandy in the ruck and you've got a good backup rucks. So you've got a lot of depth there. But ultimately, the way these guys integrate is at least going to take half a season at best case. At worst case, it's a full season. So yeah, fifteenth. But I can actually see them probably yeah ninth, maybe maybe eighth if they have because they've they're going to have a softer draw. So they, I think they've I haven't looked at the scaling on their draw, but yeah, I could probably see them. They might scrape in the finals. Yeah. Um, but yeah, everything's going to come down to how they, inter- they integrate. Yep. Yep. I agree with that, mate. Um, all right, let's let's move on. So the next team that we covered was Port Adelaide. Um, and Port Adelaide uh, made a good start to the off-season. Uh, they had Lindsay Thomas uh, retired, and they delisted a couple in Jimmy Tumpus, uh, Emmanuel Ira, Jake Need, Don Barry, and Will Snelling, um, which I think really was a as good a period as you could hope for. Um, they got they got an eight out of ten from us. Um, Obviously, because there, I think there was some more players on the list that I would have liked them to have delisted. Um, they didn't. But it was good to sort of call time on guys like Tumpus, um, Need, Barry, who just weren't, like, they weren't going to be in their best 22. Um, yeah, I mean, Barry started the year hot, and you thought maybe this is the turning point for him. But he, um, yeah, he really, um, I guess, just struggled to impact games. So, yep. I mean, that's a, I, I like that they gave him a shot because he'd really performed at Sandful. But I also like that they're prepared to say no, this isn't isn't working. Yep. Um, so, yeah, like you're saying, it's a really highly rated um, retirement delisting period, and then their free agency was excellent in getting Lysette. Now they've had a lot of issues when Paddy Ryder goes down, which seems to be a lot more common. Yep. Um, and that really killed them this year, and it also hurt guys like Dougal Howard's development. It hurt. Um, Charlie Dixon uh, and as I think Dixon said uh, in the off season after the camp they just had was something like um, well now if you see me in the ruck you know we're stuffed yeah um, which is such a true thing now but um, and, and we've seen that Lysette can work really well in tandem with West Coast at the start of this year um, I think I did speak about this with with a with an athletic ruck like a knickknap yeah and, and that's what Ryder is so the wearing this this might prolong Ryder's career and it'll also it'll also Lysette will also give him a really really strong backup if he does go down yeah I agree um, I think that um, Nignat and Paddy Ryder are probably the only ruckmen in the competition that I can think of that are starting rucks that play less ruck time than the other ruck as in I would have Nignat or Paddy Ryder I would be hoping for 40% um, or 45% of the ruck time with Lysette doing 55 because they're explosive so you want them to do as much as you possibly can and then park them at full forward for a little bit of time and let them recover similar to Nick Nat whereas Lysette can more 
uh, play for long periods of time, yeah. let, let him battle a little bit and let him recover. So um, they de- they're definitely, you're not going to start like set in the ruck though because you want to win, capitalize on the, um, the explosiveness of those jumping players. But um, yeah. def- definitely I see that as a really positive move by them. And they didn't lose anything, obviously, when you pick up a free agent um, and you're not losing one yourself. You don't have to give up anything, which is great. They also performed really well in the trade period. Um, so we gave them a 7 out of 10 for the trade period. Um, and in that period, obviously, they lost Wingard, they lost Polek, uh, Homsch, Pittard. These are all guys that were either inside their best 22 or thereabouts. They also gave up picks 23, 30, 48, 49, and a 2019 third. But... They were able to get in a pick five, which is huge. Ryan Burton, which is huge. Uh, pick 15, again, huge. I think that they really aligned themselves. Sam, um, Sam Mays as well. Like, it's a former top draft pick. Sam Mays. Yeah, Sam Mays offsets the losses of your Homsch and your Pittard. Um, Burton, I think... Offs- oh, I think he's a bit more than that, actually. I think... Uh, not Homsch. Oh, no, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Homsch, yeah, Homsch and Pittard. They're yeah. just like... He's, I think Mays mm. can fit into their best 22... And I think that Pittard and Homps both weren't at that time. I think Mays helps release, like we were talking about their lack of midfield quality um, in, I think, the last one, or maybe even this one. And I think that Mays allows Hartlett to get back into the midfield, which yep. gives them a quality disposal there. Yep, I, so, I agree. And a long disposal as well, which is important. Yep. Um, and those three 2019 fourth-round picks will be valuable because they've got a father-son player next year as well. So... Mm-hmm. They sort of set themselves up really well there, and I think that they smashed um, Hawthorne in that wing guard trade, um, winning that easily for, for me and really setting up yeah. that period for them. And that was, a, as we said, a 7 out of 10. Well, Burton, Burton's just such a huge pickup in that trade. Like, you take Burton out, and you probably would say that their trade score drops to a 5 out of 10. Um, yep. But he's he's a massive win, and Wingard, as, as we've spoken about multiple times, he is... At Port, he just wasn't fitting in their system. Um, he was able to shine individually, but he in the midfield he wasn't helping them. If that makes sense. And yeah. Then, um, well, is it, yeah. like it was the same thing we were talking about in our last episode when we were sort of talking about um, not having a diverse mix in the middle. When they put Wingard in the middle to diversify their mix, they put Boke forward, which means you tax your forward line really heavily. Yeah. Um, and sort of stuffs your ability to get any of the gains that you get from that. So I think that they did really well there and they topped it off with a really strong draft as well. Oh, yeah, they did. Especially when they um, they recruited really well, but they also brought in players that offsetted their losses in the trade period. So Rosie offsets your wing guard loss. Obviously, they're not going to perform to that level straight away, but they will. Yep. Um, Butters, as far as that outside run, um, offsets Pollock. Um, Dersma, I think, is a high-class midfielder. I think he's your um, diamond in the rough. I think that he will be a diamond at AFL level as well. Yeah. And two great late selections with uh, Grundy and Woodcock. I think that Grundy was highly underrated this year. Um, and Woodcock, I think he was projected to go higher this year and actually perform really well at Sanford level towards the end. So I think that he was too good not to take a punt on at the end. So all like one of the only clubs that performed above expectations in every single area of the of the offseason. There were, there were no uh, below, which typically most clubs have like one or two below and a couple above, um, which sort of puts them in the middle, but this was all great. 
Um, and not only that, they also addressed everything that we sort of thought that they needed to address. So address the backup ruck situation. They did it with probably the best backup ruck in the game. Um, bring in highly skilled midfielders, and they were able to do that at the draft by going and getting Rosie, uh, Zach Butters, and Xavier Dersma, who are all skilled players. Neither one of them, like none of them are pure contested or bulls or anything like that. Nope. But all of them are good, silky, skilled, contested players. And address key position depth again by bringing in Lysette. You've really gone and addressed your key position depth, and they've also gone and drafted Grundy, uh, brought in Ryan Burton. Um, so they and have really key position that. depth was really around their back line because yeah. after after um, Howard and who's the other who's the other one one that did really well this year. Yeah, I can't remember his name. There, there was there had so many of those players. It's Jonas? Right, Jonas? Jonas. Yeah, yeah, Tom Jonas. Yeah, Tom yeah. Jonas. Yeah. So um those two accepted, they didn't they don't have any depth in the back line. Yeah. And and that's the that's the great and especially with Homsch moving on, Grundy is just going to be a perfect development player. I think he's a local as well. He's a local yep. South Australian boy. I think he might have even played for Port potentially or maybe not. Um doesn't really matter either way. Like I think that that key position because up forward they're they're quite okay. They've got Dixon, Marshall, Watts. You know they've got a lot of a lot of decent depth up there. Yep. And then you're going to throw Lysette and Ryder down there alternating. Yep. So they've really got a strong spine. But then it was just that back line that was always a little bit iffy. Um, and then yeah, like you said, they've probably the one thing yeah the highly skilled midfielder because their midfield's too one dimensional. Yep. Now they're going to get that skill. Like uh, Rosie is a superb kick and an amazing decision maker, and yeah. we really highlighted this. Um, and there's a passage of play that John loves to show people from the championships, where Rankin was was massively hot at the time. I think he kicked three goals for the quarter. Yeah, and he's he's one on one in the pocket, demanding the ball. Um, and when a player's hot, often you know someone will direct that pass, but it was in a low percentage area for kicking a goal. Not saying that Rankin wouldn't have dobbed it, yep. but it's a low percentage kick, and he had a, a three on two out number in the goal square, um, which he then kicked it to um, his player's advantage, only for um, it to be spoiled in the end. So yep. he, even though the end result wasn't um, ideal, it was the right decision and a yeah. good disposal. Yeah, exactly. And the process, um, so that all of these players have got a good process of decision-making, why they make the decision and the odds of that outcome being successful. Those yeah. are the kind of players that you want because they don't necessarily have to know why they do it. They just have to do it because you want people to be making high percentage decisions all the time because if you play the percentages, you eventually win. And it's something that Port have lacked this year, especially after losing Hartlett. Yeah. Um, they just they didn't get the ball into the hands of the people that make good decisions enough. So, Port, um, what do we give them overall? We've been through that. We've given yeah, above, them a, above a seven and a half overall. So they're um, our highest rated team, and I think that if we were if we, I know that we did an expectations grade when we were doing the draft. If we probably did what draft we liked, I probably would have rated them even higher. So um, I don't project them to go up much in the ladder. Like I still see them sitting sort of ninth, maybe just outside the eight. And that's with a variation of obviously being able to go as high as 4th and maybe as low as 13th. Um, but they've readjusted their team perfectly, I think. Um, got rid of some players that might have moved on anyway. Got good prices for them all. Yep. And then took those picks to the draft and made great selections with those picks. So it couldn't have... And they traded, they traded hard to get higher in the draft to get 
access to well we're not sure whether it was Rosie or whether it was they were aiming for someone else but yeah King or Rankin but they, they got as high as they could to get um, the best player they could and they've picked you know in our eyes a, an extremely good player and probably the player with the ability to be number one in this draft um, so you just got to credit clubs that are a bit brave and, and that's like Port you know two you go back two years they went into the draft they got Marshall they got um, Sam Powell Pepper with some really good drafting then come next last year then they they picked up two free agents in Motlop and Rockcliffe and traded a uh, mid-second round pick for Watts. And they were able to get Hayes as and well with the draft. Sam yep. Hayes, who unfortunately did his knee. And, yep. You know, so you look at that and you go, you know, the last two years, they haven't really taxed, ever taxed their future. Yes, they've brought in some more senior bodies to keep them there and thereabouts. Um, but I just think that, you know, if they can get if they can get the coaching stuff right, which they've openly admitted that this year they put the break on too far and next year they're going to release that break and focus on on the ball movement and getting the ball into the right hands and getting good disposal in their forward line which is quite potent yep um i think that they have probably of all teams that finished outside the eight this year i think they've probably along with essendon got the highest scope for um climbing the ladder i could even see uh a top four yeah i was was gonna say i'm actually thinking about how they performed earlier in this year and yeah i could see a top four finish as well um but i could also equally see um you know having lost a bit of quality um in terms of uh wingard and stuff that potentially it might take them a few rounds to adjust like uh, you know it did take them all season to really properly adjust so maybe we're looking at at you know as low as maybe 12th yeah, twelfth or thirteenth, I think is fair. Like just to say, they had an off year and they yep. had a second off year. They could do that um, a, a mild regression, but I think they're on the right track, and I think they yep. made some really good moves. Um, the final club uh, we yep. looked at was Geelong. So they delisted uh, Aaron Black, Stuart Cramery, Ryan Gardner, Corey Gregson, Matthew Hayball, Tim House, Daniel Menzel, and Jordan Murdoch. Um, and we were quite harsh on this. We gave it a 4 out of 10, and part of that reason was we felt that guys like uh, Menzel and Murdoch uh, are important, even Cramery to a lesser extent. Yeah, Cramery to a lesser extent, but definitely Menzel and Murdoch, the best 22 players. Yeah, absolutely, and like understand that they're moving them on, and we did implore them if they're not going to play them to cut them, so they've done that, and credit to them for doing that. But the problem is is that they've lost a two-goaler game forward in Menzel, which, as we've stated many times, they don't grow on trees. Yep. And they've lost the best 22, Murdoch. Um, and realistically, you know, their list is in that period where they're contending. Um, you've only got a couple more years of Selwood, Danger, and probably one or two more of Ablett. Yep. So what's the point? Like, you're either contending now or you're trying to set yourself up for the future. Yeah. I don't see any of these moves helping push them up the ladder in any way, shape or form. Yeah. They were belted off the park by Melbourne in the first final um, and they haven't gone out and got rucks. You know, they're just like... It It, it seems like... Like, some of these are great delistings. Aaron Black, no problems. Gardner, no problems. Gregson, no problems. House and Hayball, no problems. But no problems with any of those. Great, you know. If it was just those delistings, they're probably getting a six or a seven out of ten. But then to go and and get rid of players that you know, um, you know, we probably don't 
think they should let go, um, that's that's where it hurts. So, um, yeah, what are your thoughts, mate? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I, I think that there was two middle grounds. I loved what some of the other clubs did that were around this same bracket, like a Sydney, mm. um, but I, I didn't really like what Geelong did. And obviously they were able to get Dalhouse as a free agent, um, I think initially we rated that as an 8 out of 10. I probably adjust that rating after that to a 7 out of 10 just because at that time they hadn't delisted uh, Menzel and Murdoch. So it seems like they were getting a great addition. Instead, it just seems like they're getting an adequate replacement. Um, yeah. Sort of a different style of player, but still a best 22 player and I don't think he's a best 10 player at Geelong well, based I think on there. He's he's going to replace Menzel and he's going to offer what they wanted from Menzel in terms of attack on the ball and pressure and all that but he's, he's, not, he's not going he's to offer a, the same goals a game I think he's a I think even playing forward he's only like a 1.2 goal a game forward that's at a, in a good year as well yeah. he, he's a he's a 20 goal a season player when, at his best like a 20 goal mm. season midfielder so I don't think that he's the same I think it was sort of Upon reflection, it would have been a great addition to Menzel. Uh, I don't think that, like, I still think they've missed that goal kicking power now. So, if he plays more, a bit more time in the midfield, I think it could be a great addition for them because yep. I see him as a difference in their midfield given what they've got in there. Yeah, so, exactly. I guess if it frees up Dangerfield or Ablett to spend more time forward because he's he's rotating in the midfield instead of one of those guys, then maybe yeah. I, I really, yeah, I think when we do a season previews in a little while, um, I think Ablett is going to be an interesting one. I think we're going to have differing opinions, but I'm firmly of the belief that um, with the new rules that are coming in place, that um, disposal out of the back line is everything, and Gary Ablett should be probably um, playing off the half-back line next year. Yep. And I think he, I think him off the half-back line with his, his leadership, intelligence skill, ability to hit targets, as well as his ball movement. Um, and given the fact that he is 35, I think, and and everything. So I think that all that combined, for Geelong to shuffle around and find out how to be a better team next year, if he goes off the half-back line, I can see that their ball movement from the back line transitioning is just going to become from what this year was probably a, a 4 out of 10 to at least a 6 out of 10 at minimum, at least, if not yeah. a 7 out of 10, because no. you've got a, a player who's willing to run, willing to take the game on, also can hit a pass up to 50 metres pretty damn accurately, yep. who also, as we saw in the final against Melbourne, you know, he, when he went back, they started to try, they, they stemmed the tide, and there was just bits watching the game where you sat there and went, you could see that he was his football IQ was a yeah. level above everyone else's. He, he, yeah, he hit he in that game hit the only kick that Melbourne wasn't covering, mm-hmm. and, and he did that time after time out of the back line, which was keeping them in that game. Yep. Solely him keeping him in that game because without him, they were just bombing it to Melbourne, who were turning it around and scoring. And and all, what he did was he did something that no other of their players did. He ran. He didn't. If he was half kick out of the contest. So there's a contest on the half-back line. He would run 40 metres to the opposite side of the ground, to the fat side of the ground. Yeah. And knowing that the Melbourne player will set up the zone or the web yep. or whatever the hell they're using defensively, the diamond, or yep. and, and that he'll have 10 metres over the back. Yep. And then the moment the ball came out, he would scream that they just bomb it over to him. Yep. And that intelligence is what separates him from other players. Yeah. 
and people look for him. So. Yeah, exactly. No, you're right. And I, I'd, I'd love to see him in a sort of a low half back role, not a high half back. Low half backs being just sitting below the 50 behind your opponent, being the first person to get the handball release um, and dispose of the ball coming back out the other way. And you can still run forward with the ball, but just not being a traditional high half forward pushing, I mean, high half back pushing up the ground all the time. Mm. I love his disposal out of the back line. Couldn't agree more. Trade That's score cool. for Geelong, though, um, we couldn't give them anything other than a, a 5 out of 10, just because yeah. I think that you called it shuffling deck chairs yeah. on the Titanic. <laughs> um, and yeah. I'm, I'm a bit the same. I mean, not doing anything that's going to drastically change um, their performance. So Kruger, Rowan, and some late picks for McCarthy, Hall, and Smith, Thurlow, and some late picks. So, no, mm. yeah, the, yeah. Um, over that already. Um, <laughs> Move on. Draft, uh, pretty similar. Um, so Jordan Clark at 15. I mean, I said this at the time. It's a good pick. It's a good pick. Men expectations, but obviously Geelong plays a high premium on uh, Backman that can use the ball well and I think that he will fit into Geelong's systems really well could you imagine him and Ablett on either side of the half back line how how much of a, it would be back to the days of when they had Enright Mackey um, you know these guys even Joel Corey towards the end of his career just coming off that half back line with the weapons of their feet yeah just hitting up forwards I think, I think he'll start like a Mackey um, and then potentially end up like an Enright yeah. um, being that at the moment he's a bit erratic he's not He's not untidy. I think he's a good disposer of the ball still, but he's unpredictable. Um, and I think that he'll take on the game a lot, which is probably what Geelong needs. So the rest of their picks, Ben Jarvis, Jake Kennelly, Darcy Fort, Jake Tracker, and Oscar Brownless, were just sort of met expectations. I was glad to see them take a ruck. But as you'll see from... Um, Ken- Kennelly's not a bad pick. I don't mind. I, I think they're all fine picks. Um, I don't think none of them are any, any great picks. I think the thing that went awry for us was um, versus our expectations of what they needed when we assessed their list. Um, young key possession depth, they didn't address it at all. Yep. Um, so they got changed some midfielders and some smalls, but didn't get in any key position players um, that are going to make De- a big impact. And delisted de- key position players. Yep, delisted some. Um, young mids, uh, didn't bring in any. Um, yep. I think that potentially with their first pick, if they took taken a young mid, then maybe, but they just didn't bring in any. Um, and addressed the ruck issues. This was talking about the fact that they have... Stanley, Zach Smith, um, all sort of around the same sort of skill level. Who's that other ruckman that came in at the end of the year? Oh, Ryan Abbott. Ryan I don't, Abbott. I don't mind him. He, no, he I, don't, looks... I don't mind him, but they just brought in Darcy Fort as well. They just like got a lot of good VFL or bad AFL ruckman. Um, Rhys Stanley is just like that perennially frustrating. And I think we talked about this when... Um, we did. Yeah, but I mean, at his best, I think he... Looking at, I was looking at the stats and like he had a five-game stretch this season. And this is the problem, the five-game stretch, um, followed by 10 weeks of injury. But that five-game stretch, I think he was like the number eight or number nine ranked ruckman in the AFL. It was just higher than that. It was, it was really high. You're right, though. He did have a five-game stretch. It was because he had a five-game stretch where he outplayed Gorn and then he outplayed a couple of other like Jacobs um, and a couple of other rucks like yeah. that in a row where he was one of the best on ground for Geelong. But... He needs to do that uh, half of the games. Like he yeah. needs to be at least playing twenty-two games and, and eleven of them being great. In, in a long, in, in, I guess this is a bit of a roundabout connection, but you know, guys who you know have suffered consistent injuries like that, um, like he has, and, and ongoing and, and repetitive, um, but who have obviously have serious talent in there, and 
I think it's a bit like it's the Justin Kizitsky, um effect in a way. So like Cozzy, there were times where you know he would just be so frustrating for St Kilda supporters because he um, just wasn't living up to what he was expected to, um, and that was after all his injuries. But then there was like I think there was one five game stretch where he rucked, and I think he was the number one ranked ruckman in the competition. And also at the time in five games he'd kicked more goals than any other key forward in the competition playing as a ruckman. Yeah. Um, and and you know like that's the talent that he's got. And Reece Stanley is probably not as higher end talent as Kajitsky was, but he's the same. Like there's enough talent in there that when he gets everything together, he is an elite player. But the problem is that with all the consistent injuries, the ability to stay at that level and not get re-injured or the ability to stay at that level consistently just isn't there because he's got no consistency on the track, he's got no consistency yep. on the ground. And that's the biggest thing, isn't it, is that consistency because it's not, it doesn't matter as much during the year. Like You can get by during the year with that sort of inconsistency, but when you get to finals, I mean, you saw it. I don't think Stanley played in no, the he finals. Didn't. Yeah. Ryan Abbott played against Gorn. And yeah. Abbott, I earned a lot of respect for Abbott that game because I felt he didn't that he, get smashed. Yeah, he did a really manful job. He stood up and he he played to the absolute best of his ability, and yeah. he didn't get he was belted a, off the park. He was by a the great. He was a great uh, Tom Hickey. He was a fantastic. Yeah. Um, I don't know um, Giles, Jonathan Giles. Yeah. But he was just a depth player. Like he was a depth player that played well and held his own in the side, but. They need 22 games and 22 weeks of training from Stanley uh, coming into finals again. Um, for next third year. round pick, go pick up Jones. Yeah, I know. From Buddy Freeman. I don't know how many times I'm going to say it. If you've got ruck issues, Freeman will have 10. Yeah. Just yeah, go yeah. address it. Well, I mean, the only club that didn't really have ruck issues was West Coast. Um, I mean, they, they always have heaps of rucks and they always seem to perform well. Um, so I think that, yeah, rucks. Rucks are sometimes at a premium, um, so they got a. I mean, they got a zero from us for addressing their needs because they just didn't address any of the needs that we think that their list has. Yep. Um, which brought them to an off-season score of uh, about four and a half out of ten. Um, maybe little, just little a little bit, bit, bit above that, in between four and a half and a five out of ten. But so just not quite met expectations, and and really it just comes back to the fact they haven't addressed any of the gaping holes on their list. Yeah, it's, it's really anchored by um, Dalhouse. Without Dalhouse's acquisition, they are either met expectations or below expectations on everything. So mm. they've got one player that we rated, they really, really rate the acquisition of, and the rest of their off-season was pretty average. So you, you take out Dalhouse and they drop to a 3 out of 10. Yeah, completely take him out. Um, and, and like, a, yeah, it, it's, it's, not, it's, not a great, it's not a great look. So... I think for them, um, they're really. This year is going to be a, a very defining year because they're either going to get it all together, Dangerfield's going to win his flag, and Ablett's going to win another one, and they're all going to be really happy, or we're going to start seeing some really harsh moves, but not harsh, needed, necessary moves coming yeah. in the next few years. Like, I, think, I think this is the year where they, they find out can they still have a tilt or if they can win it. Or if they're still there and thereabouts at the in and and for them to make that decision, they need to finish kind of top five, top six, maybe maybe even top four. If we're being really top four, yeah. And yep. then if they finish top four, they can load up and have another crack next year. Um, otherwise, um, I think there's going to be a lot of tough conversations at the end of the year 
um, where they start to look at how they regenerate. They may look to trade some players. I mean, we've spoken about a lot. Hawkins is 31, going on 32. Um, Selwood's 30. Um, Danger's 28, turning 29. Ablett's, Ablett's 35. Scott Selwood's getting older now. He'd be 27, 28, but he's got yeah. the body of a 45-year-old. So you, even even guys like um, uh, who's their who's their other midfielder, Murdoch. Mm, no, no, you're thinking of um, Duncan, Mitch Duncan. Mitch Duncan, Mitch yeah. Duncan's past. <laughs> like he'd be he'd be mid 20s now. He's no longer young. Yep. Um, um, Gola, even though he hasn't played a whole lot of games, he's still probably 27. 27. You're also looking at Nakia Cockatoo's always injured. They just don't have any players like an Isaac Heaney, which the Swans <laughs> have, where you go, there's the future of our club. Cal Mills as yeah, well. exactly. They're, and they've got Tim Kelly, but like we know... we know Tim Kelly's not the future of their club. He's going next year. He's gone next year. And, that, yeah. and that, that's the thing. Next year, Tim Kelly walking out. If, if they don't finish top four... Tim Kelly walking out could be the bang. Okay, let's now extract maximum value, which providing he has another year like he had this year is a top 10 pick. Maximum value for Kelly, top yeah. 10 pick there. Then we want this, we want that. Yeah, they, they, they go from like a, um, if you use the premiership clock idea, they go from a 1am, as in past it, but potentially still a chance, yeah. to, to a 4 or 5am pretty quickly where you've got a new dorm that's required um, in order to turn it around again. Mm. Um, anyway. Projected ladder position for them is 8th. Uh, I could see them being as high as 1st. I am a bit more bullish on their top end of anyone else probably just because they finished 2nd and 3rd in the last couple of years. Um, but I think they could also finish as low as 13th. Um, I've yeah. got a little bit different. I think they're probably their peak is probably third. Yep. Um, and the reason their peak's third, I think, is the reliance and lack of key position depth. Their reliance on Tom Hawkins, I think, is um, the downfall. Mm-hmm. And they're, so they're one big injury to Hawk away from being in real trouble. Yep. Um, and their bottoming out could be, yeah. I want to say 14th or 15th even. Like, I can see a big fall potentially if, if injuries count up against them. And it's only, we're only talking a couple of key injuries here, probably three or four, which have happened to other clubs. Um, I don't think they've got the depth to cope with it. So, um, yeah, I, I, they've got a wide range for me just simply because of if they get it all right and they don't have injuries and they get, you know, 19 to 20 games out of their elite guys. Um, then I think they're definitely going to finish in the top eight. Uh, if they don't get that 19 to 20 games out of the top guys and guys like Reece Stanley and that don't don't um, stay uninjured, I think then they're um, yeah definitely outside the eight, which is uh, I think going to be the signal for them to rebuild. Yep, I agree, mate. And that's all we've got time for today. But uh, welcome to the new year. And I'm, I'm glad that we're still uh, focusing in on what happened at the past because this is sort of going to give us the best idea of what might happen in the future, especially when at this stage of the year, everyone's feeling a bit rosy. We're feeling a bit good about our own teams. It's, it's, a, lot, it's a lot of hope there. It's all hope. Everyone's looking ahead and going, oh, it's all rays of sunshine coming in here, a couple of injuries, but you know, we're, we're going to be right this year, I think. It's good to take stock and go, where are we actually at based on where we finished last year? That's our best indicator of going forward. So 
Thank you again for listening. Um, look forward to chatting with you on Twitter. And uh, Shawnee, thanks for being here, mate. And uh, look forward to chatting with you again next week. Thank you, John. Um, hope everyone had a safe and happy new year. And it's lovely to join you, uh, everyone, over here in the better part of 2019. Now. Yeah. See you, guys. Bye.